following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Well, I wonder what you would say to me If I came up to you and told you that I could walk out to that parking lot over there and pick up a car and hold it over my head. Some of you might politely say, no, that's that's nice. Some of you might be a little bit more direct and say, I don't think you can do that. Children, you might look at someone who said that with wide eyes and think, that's crazy. What if... I was actually able to go out there and pick up a car and hold it over my head. What if I was actually able to give you evidence of the truthfulness of my claim? Now, I, of course, cannot go pick up a car and hold it over my head. And it's kind of a silly example. But it teaches us something that the Apostle Paul, here in our text this morning, thinks is an important truth. That evidence is... Required, or evidence is very helpful in the least, to establish the truth of a claim. See, evidence is something which the Lord God has used throughout time to establish truth claims. We read in Romans chapter 1 that no one can say that they don't actually know there is a God. Why? Because he has given evidence in his creation, evidence of his eternal power and his divine being. The Lord has given evidence. Uh, You remember back in the Old Testament, Gideon wanted evidence that the Lord actually had called him to lead the children of Israel against their oppressors. Evidence is an important thing. And in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul teaches us that for confident assurance of our salvation... We need evidence. For confident assurance of our salvation, we need to know the root of our salvation and we need to see the fruit of our salvation. That's what these few verses this morning tell us. We need to know the root of our salvation and we need to see the fruit of our salvation. And so we will look at this text this morning under those two broad categories. The root of our salvation and the fruit of of our salvation. Now, a little bit by way of context here in, in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul has begun this letter to the Thessalonian church. And, and all through chapter 1, he's encouraging them. He's, he's thankful for them. This church of the Thessalonians is really an, an exemplary church. This church is, is an example to all believers uh, throughout all time because of the way that they have faith, the way they're expressing uh, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they, of course, have their issues like all churches do. But here in the first chapter, Paul is really emphasizing uh, the great example of the Thessalonian church and how grateful he is for them. Uh, He says in verse 2 that he gives thanks to God always for them, uh, making mention of them in his prayers. And he goes on to say that's because he has heard of of their labor of love, of their steadfastness, of their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that's the, the first reason why he gives thanks. But then he, he comes to the passage which we are focusing on, uh, especially this morning, uh, the evidence of this faith. He gives thanks to God for the Thessalonian church because he knows and they know the root of their salvation. So what is this root? Well, look with me to verse 4. We read there, We know, brethren beloved by God, his choice of you. See, Paul says that he knows. He's, he's confident. He has full assurance in the salvation of the Thessalonian church. He knows their election by God. Now, why does he know this? Well, he, he knows two things. One, he knows that they are beloved by God. These are the brethren beloved by God. He sees evidence of the love of God upon the lives of these Thessalonian believers. How does he see that? Well, we love because God first loved us, right? He knows these brethren are beloved by God because they're demonstrating the evidence of that love. And he knows God's choice of them, the election of these saints. Now, election can seem to some people to be, um, well, a bit of a dirty phrase, maybe, or something that people look at hesitantly. Because they think election, oh, that's that, that's that kind of disturbing doctrine that God chooses people. We don't, we don't really like that. But what they forget, what they don't do is, is connect election with the love of God. You, you see, Paul here in this verse 4 combines these two ideas. The love of God and the election of God's people. God's election is rooted and founded in his love for a particular people. Paul goes into far greater detail on these things in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Remember in uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, I think it is, uh, he has this whole long doxology where he praises Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for their, their great work, where he talks about the Father predestining us to adoption as sons through Christ, where he talks about how we are elected to be conformed to the image of Christ. Father does that because of his love. That's what most people seem to forget when they think about election. It is rooted and grounded in the love of God for his people. Paul knows then the ultimate root, the ultimate cause of the salvation of the Thessalonians is not in anything which they have done, not in works, not in speech. No, the ultimate root of the Thessalonian salvation is in God's loving choice of them. So that's the ultimate cause, the ultimate root. But he doesn't stop there. He says how he is certain that they are elect. In verse 5, look with me to verse 5. He says that he knows God's choice of them. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with 
full conviction. Paul knows the election of the Thessalonian saints because he knows their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The root of their salvation, faith in Christ. He knows this for three reasons. One, the word of the gospel came to the Thessalonians. That's what he says. The word did not come to you, or the gospel did not come to you in word only. But it did come in word. Paul had been to Thessalonica before. Paul had proclaimed the gospel of the Lord Jesus before. And and these Thessalonians, they heard the word. They had what we call the external call. They heard the preaching of the gospel, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, had become man, was God incarnate, had lived a perfect life, and then had died upon the cross, bearing the sins of his people. They heard that word. They heard the declaration of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things which Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, you are being saved by if indeed you hold fast to the gospel. They heard that. But it didn't stop there, did it? You see, many people hear the word of the gospel. It goes out quite regularly uh, in all sorts of places. It goes out regularly when men go uh, to the streets and they street preach and proclaim the gospel to people then. It it goes out when people go door to door and do evangelism that way. The word of the gospel goes out even in, in congregations when a minister is preaching and proclaiming the good news of Christ. But just the word going out, just hearing the word, is not effectual in salvation. Uh, Something else must take place. The external call happens, but there must be uh, what the theologians call the effectual call as well. And that's what Paul says happened next to these Thessalonian believers. The gospel did not come to them only in word. How else did it come? It also came in power and in the Holy Spirit. See, when these Thessalonians heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it didn't fall upon deaf ears. It was not the seed that was sown upon the path or among the thorns or on rocky soil. It found good soil. Why is that? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes the preaching of the word effectual for salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one who enlightens our minds and renews our wills. So that we are able uh, not only to receive the word, not only to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're also convinced that that is necessary. We see through the work of the Holy Spirit our, our great sin and our great need of Christ. And then when the gospel comes to us, we say, this is what I need. This Christ is the one who I need as my Savior. So we reach out and we take hold of him. That is how the gospel came to these Thessalonians. It came in word, it came in power, and in the Holy Spirit. It came effectually bringing about conversion in the life of these Thessalonian believers. 
but it also came in full conviction. This is kind of actually an interesting phrase in the Greek. It's, it's much full conviction or much full assurance. Uh, as much conviction as they could possibly get, really. They believed every single solitary bit of that gospel. They were completely convinced. And in being completely convinced of that gospel, they were, they were also completely convinced in the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. They weren't hesitant about it. They didn't try and hedge their bets. They didn't say, well, we've heard this word. We believe that Christ can indeed save sinners, but we're also going to go off to the temple of Zeus or whoever and make sacrifices because maybe this is true, maybe it isn't. No, they were fully, completely, totally convinced of the truthfulness of this gospel That went out to them. They, at that moment, had full conviction in the knowledge that there was salvation in Jesus Christ, and they took hold of it. They knew, knew the very root of their salvation was the Lord Jesus Christ and what he had done being applied to them by the Holy Spirit. So then, there, we are shown the root of our salvation. It's the work of the triune God. Salvation comes about because of our great and glorious God, the Father planning the Son accomplishing, the Spirit applying, all of this done to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit for His glory, His glory alone, the root of our salvation, the work of God in the life of our, uh, in our lives. And I believe this, this knowledge should cause us to ask ourselves the question, do I know for certain, am I convinced, do I have full assurance, full conviction of the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you look to Christ alone for your salvation? Is He your only hope? Or do you say, well, sure, I will trust in Christ, but... I'm going to hedge my bets and I'm going to make sure I I do everything I can to live what everyone else will think is a a good life. I'll go to church faithfully. I'll say my prayers every night before I go to bed. Those are, are good things. Those are things that we ought to want to do. But those things in and of themselves will not save. It is Christ who saves. Christ alone. So we must... Ask ourselves, do we, do we have that knowledge of the root of our salvation? Are we looking to God alone for our salvation? And I think also we should be asking ourselves, do we know, as Paul did, are we certain of our salvation? Now, assurance of salvation is not necessary for salvation. Many Christians throughout time have 
gone through their lives with very little assurance of salvation. This was especially prevalent during uh, the medieval age when the, the gospel was, was hidden a great deal. And there were still true believers in that time, but very little assurance of salvation. But do you have assurance of salvation? It's a good thing. It's a thing which we ought to seek after. We ought to make sure of our calling and election, as Peter said. And how do we do this? How can we have assurance of our salvation? First, we look to the Lord God. Do you love him? Do you love Christ? Is there love for your Savior in your heart? That's, first of all, good evidence. But if you love him, Christ says you will keep his commandments. But that alone is not all we have, all we should look for for assurance. We also should look to the promises of God in Scripture. All of those promises the Lord has given us in his word are there for our benefit, that we might have full assurance, full conviction, full certainty in our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of Christ's promises that all who come to him will never be cast out. Or perhaps that most well-known verse in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That verse isn't a, uh, a verse telling who can and cannot be saved. It's a verse saying that whoever trusts in Christ will be saved. It's a declaration of promise. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so we, for our assurance, must look to God's word. Seeing all of those places where he has promised salvation to all who come to God through Christ by the Spirit. We look to Scripture for assurance, uh, seeing the promises of God and seeing that they all have their yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if, if you lack assurance, look to the Scriptures. See what God has said in promise to you. See the great care that God has for His people. And telling each of them, I am your father, if you have indeed come to me through Christ my son. And I will never cast out anyone who has come to me through Christ. We have those promises in scripture. If you lack assurance, learn those promises, dwell on them, meditate on them, remember them. Know that when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you indeed have salvation. So, we see then the root of our salvation, the sovereign work of the triune God. But Paul does not stop there in this text as far as evidence goes. He continues with the evidence that he has seen in the lives of the Thessalonians, which has convinced him of their salvation. Evidence, the fruit of of their salvation, what has come about from the salvation which they have in Christ. Look at verse 6. Paul says to the Thessalonians, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. 
So then this first fruit of salvation in the lives of these Thessalonians is the fact that they became imitators. Imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost, but also imitators of the Apostle Paul and those who were with him. They, after having heard and received a life-changing message of the gospel, realized that their salvation didn't mean that they just now sat there and twiddled their thumbs. No, now, now that they had been redeemed, now that they had been freed from uh, the chains of sin and death, now they could actually go out and obey their Lord like they should They became imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ. They began following in those patterns set by Christ. They began obeying Him, doing what He commanded. They began living their lives in a way that was glorifying and honoring to Christ. They imitated Him. They, who were now adopted children of God the Father, said, I want to be like my older brother. I want to be like him. Now, maybe some of you have older brothers. Some of you children have older brothers. Sometimes you don't want to be much like your older brother because you know uh, how much they picked on you when you were little or you know things that they said about you or so on and so forth. Oh, But deep down inside, a lot of times can look at your older brother and say, I see ways in which he was a good older brother. I kind of want to be like that. Even more so, we can look at the Lord Jesus Christ, our older brother, who has never done anything wrong, who has never picked on us, mistreated us, said a harsh word against us. We can look to him. We should look to him and say, I want to be like the Lord Jesus. I want to be just like my big brother. And that's what these Thessalonians did. They wanted to be like Christ. But they also were imitators of Paul and the other apostles. They followed him as he followed Christ. They were imitators, emulating the good that Paul had done, emulating his witness to the gospel, emulating his, his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, emulating his life lived in full submission to God, emulating his life lived in, in service to the Lord. The Thessalonians became imitators. People who followed after godly examples. And they did this. The rest of verse 6 says, even in tribulation. They received the word in much tribulation, even in suffering, even in trials. These Thessalonian saints said, I'm going to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to be like him. And they did it in trial with much joy the joy of the holy spirit see the holy spirit works in the lives of believers 
joy even in the middle of of trials. When we look to Christ, even in the middle of, of severe circumstances, we can have joy because we are Christ's and Christ is God's. We can have great hope in the middle of, of sickness, of deprivation. Even as these Thessalonians had, there is joy of the Holy Spirit. He can work joy in our hearts, even in the middle of great trials. Isn't that a comfort? Isn't that such a blessing? That the Lord has given us His Holy Spirit to, to indwell us, to, to be with us, to be the paraclete, the comforter, the one who sticks with you through thick and thin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives you this comfort and joy in the middle of tribulation so that you can continue in this life of obedience towards Christ. That is a blessing. So the Thessalonians begin to demonstrate the fruit of salvation in the fact that they become imitators. Imitators of Christ, imitators of the apostles, and they do it with joy even in the middle of tribulation. But their fruit doesn't stop there. They're not just imitators. They were following after examples, imitating them, and in doing so, they themselves become examples. Verse 7, Paul says that they received the word in tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. In their imitation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in their, their lives of obedience, and their lives of faith, worshiping God as He deserves to be worshipped, they became examples, good examples, to the other churches. They became examples to churches all over uh, the region of Greece where they were, the, um, the Roman provinces of Macedonia and Achaia were, were the northern and southern parts of kind of the, the Greek peninsula. There were several churches in that area. The church at Ephesus, the church at Colossae. All of these churches are in that area. And the Thessalonians became an example to those believers. Having joy in the Holy Spirit, even through trials, following after Christ, they set the example. They were setting the pace for all of these other churches. It's like uh, someone who gets at the front of, uh, of the pack in a race, right? And they're running and running and everyone behind them is kind of has this feeling of, well, I've got to kind of push myself a little more to keep up with, with him, to keep up with the pack. They were setting the pace for all of the churches in the region. They became examples, examples of holy living Examples of faithfulness to Christ. Example of joyful believers. So then what of us? Is our life 
producing fruit. We see then these these two items, particular imitating and being an example. Are you imitating the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you imitating the life of the Apostle Paul, certainly in Scripture, the life of other believers in Scripture? Are you imitating the life of those believers before you now, those who are mature in the faith? That's one of the great blessings of of having uh, ministers and elders uh, and deacons even, as these are men who have uh, been proven to be men uh, stronger in their faith Faithfully following the Lord Jesus Christ, we have those men as examples which we ought to follow after insofar as they follow after Christ. We also have saints who have been believing in Christ for for years and years. Those elderly folks who you can look at and you think, "You've you've been following Jesus for 60 years? It's amazing. 70 years even? astounding. We have those people to imitate good examples to follow after. Are you imitating the Lord Jesus Christ and are you imitating those godly examples who have gone before you? We should be. We should be. But not only that, are you being an example to the saints yourself. Imitation is indeed one of the first steps. That, that is how we ought to live, imitating Christ. But when we do that, that should make us an example to others. We should be setting an example. Parents, you, you do this setting an example for your children in life. Older brothers and sisters, children... You can set an example for your younger brothers and sisters. As you grow up, as you get older, as your parents teach you about the Lord Jesus, as your faith in Him grows, as your life of of holiness grows, you can set the example for your younger brothers and sisters, teaching them what they ought to do. Children, you can even set an example For the older saints, Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, set an example for all the believers. Timothy was a young man, but he was to set an example for all of the believers, older and younger. He was to imitate Christ and he was to set an example. So then I I challenge you, look at your lives, see how you live them. See if you are setting an example to the saints. If you are showing them what it means to imitate Christ through your words and through your actions, we all ought to be an example to all of those Christians around us. And we can be by God's grace. So, just as the Thessalonians demonstrated the fruit of their salvation and their imitation and in their example. So you, dear Christians, show fruit of your salvation. Imitate Christ. Set an example for the believers.
demonstrate the fruit of salvation. Well, just as me going outside and picking up a car would demonstrate the truthfulness of my claim that I could do it, so also the evidence that comes from knowing the root of your salvation and the fruit of your salvation demonstrates the truthfulness of your claim of being a Christian. It demonstrates that truth to those around you, but it also demonstrates that truth to your own heart. And therein lies the full confidence that we can have in our salvation, that we are indeed saved. We see the the root of our salvation, that it's a sovereign work of God, and that He promises that everyone who comes to Him in faith will be saved. We see it also in the fruit of our salvation when we, we imitate Christ, when we love Him and do what He commands, when we are doing that to such an extent that it's evident to all those around us. Those, those two truths, the root of our salvation and the fruit of our salvation, the evidences which they, they have demonstrate to us and should give us assurance of our standing before God. That is what Paul teaches us here in this text in 1 Thessalonians. That you, dear Christians, can be confident in your faith. Having assurance when you know the root of your salvation. And when you see the fruit of your salvation. And so, work hard in full knowledge that Christ has died and risen for the salvation of His people. Trust in Him and live your life accordingly. Full reliance upon Him so you too may be an example to all the believers by God's grace. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.